This podcast is produced and issued by Morningstar Investment Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor and subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc. The content is intended for U.S. audiences only. Individuals featured in this podcast are employed by Morningstar, Inc. and its subsidiaries. This includes, but is not limited to, Morningstar Investment Management, LLC and Morningstar Research Services, LLC. Morningstar Investment Management and Morningstar Research Services are registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Stay tuned for additional important disclosure information at the end of this episode. China is a key talking point in the investment community today as a regulatory crackdown has spooked markets. So far, we've seen a 20% decline in Chinese stocks in U.S. dollar terms, with technology giants falling more than 40%. Chinese regulators have targeted specific sectors such as technology, education, and real estate as part of a crackdown aimed at aligning the Chinese private sector with its long-term policy agenda. In today's episode, we will take a closer look at recent events in China and discuss both risks and potential opportunities in Chinese stocks today. I'm Philip Strail, Global Head of Research at Morningstar Investment Management. And here to discuss this topic with me is Nabil Salem, Associate Portfolio Manager and Emerging Market Lead, and Tyler Dan, Head of Research for the Americas. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Phil. I want to kick things off with some background on recent events in China. Can you give us some perspective of what happened in China over the past 12 months or so on the regulatory front? What has driven the sell-off? Yeah, sure. So just to give some context, China started off 2021 actually as one of the top performing asset classes. But the strong performance really didn't last very long. So starting around February, March, the index started declining after being up about 20%. Uh, year to date. And now we see the MSCI China index is down for the year around 18%. So it's been a major reversal. And our process is oriented around valuations. So when we see prices and multiples declining, our interest in taking a look at the asset class and understanding what's going on there grows. And that's what's happened with China. From a regulatory perspective, um, We've seen a lot of headlines about a regulatory crackdown occurring within China on the major tech companies. And that crackdown started in October of 2020 after Jack Ma, who started Alibaba, made a speech that in the eyes of the Communist Party was overly critical of state-owned enterprises, um, and I think mainly banks. And he was criticizing them for being sluggish and slow to innovate. And after that speech, the Chinese Communist Party delayed, apparently inevitably, the financial IPO and launched an anti-monopoly probe that's focused on e-commerce. So there was a pick one from two policy that the e-commerce companies had that forced retailers on their platform to pick which platform they would sell through, you know, so they could sell through Alibaba, but not Pinduoduo, which is a major retailer. Um, But since then, we've seen a much broader crackdown with the Chinese Communist Party placing broad warnings across all tech firms that they need to curb their excesses. And we can talk a little bit about what's driving that. Um, They fined Meichuan in one stroke. They eliminated the for-profit education sector within China. They've imposed limits on video game playing, which impacts Tencent and obviously the behavior of the youth in China. And so the narrative around China has evolved from thinking that these were targeted crackdowns on the wrongdoings of specific companies to something much broader to the point where we've seen headlines 
questioning whether China is still friendly to capitalism. So from a sector perspective, it's not like the drawdown has been only focused within the large cap tech companies, which would affect the consumer discretionary and communication services sectors. We've seen drawdowns within stables, and uh, now we're seeing a drawdown within real estate with what's going on with Evergrande. And just following up on that, Nabil, obviously recent news has focused on the real estate sector, and particularly Evergrande. Uh, maybe you can speak to why the global market is responding to concerns around this company so significantly. Yeah, sure. So Evergrande is one of the largest property developers in China. And there's been questions about its ability to pay its debts as $300 billion of debt. And it's looking like this week, as of the recording of this podcast, that they might miss an interest payment, though some investors have questioned the company's solvency as early as a decade ago. And there's a lot of headlines about Citroen Research posting a short sell report on Evergrande and then being banned from Hong Kong, uh, from shorting stocks in Hong Kong or even investing in Hong Kong. And the reaction has been broader than just impacting the equity of Evergrande. I think in part because just like the narrative from the regulatory crackdown has evolved from being focused on specific wrongdoers within an industry to being something much broader, there I think investors are questioning whether or not there's going to be a broader crackdown within the property market on curbing speculation within that market. And I think investors are also questioning whether or not there are other property developers that are overly levered. So there's a lot going on there. And I think one of the major themes of investing in China is that you have to deal with a lot of opacity in terms of the level of disclosures that these companies are giving you. And that leads to, I think, larger reactions when you see negative signals. Great. Um, Tyler, we've been underweight China going into this recent sell-off. Maybe you can provide some perspective of what informed that underweight stance before the recent events transpired. Sure. Well, as many people know, Morningstar Investment Management, really one of the hallmarks of what we do is we do quite a bit of work on valuation. And we also pay attention to what we call contrarian indicators. And our valuation work we conduct with a 10-year view, so very long-term focus. And we're looking at the return that we're going to get as investors, if we were to invest today over the next 10 years, what that implied return would look like. And for a number of years, because of the very strong performance of the Chinese market, we saw what we call our valuation implied returns being quite depressed, both on an absolute basis and also on a relative basis versus other asset classes. And so it was expensive to us coming into this year. And the first part of the year where the performance was very strong, led that to be even more potentially extreme. As well, we approach things from a contrarian perspective. So when we buy something, we're looking for it to be unloved. And from a contrarian perspective, we're looking for an opportunity where it might be overlooked or unloved, forgotten. And in the case of China, the contrarian indicators were signaling to us that it was actually quite crowded and quite popular. And so when we analyzed those elements, the valuation element and the contrarian element, we concluded that it was not 
something that we wanted to overweight, but rather we were underweight. There's some complexity to the, the Chinese market. Nabil, maybe you can comment a little bit on the key sectors that comprise the Chinese market. Uh, maybe comment on the difference between on and offshore listed companies in China. Sure. So the sector question is is much more straightforward than the onshore, offshore question. From a sector perspective, consumer discretionary is the largest weighting. Companies in that sector would include Alibaba and other retailers like JD.com. It also includes Meituan, which is a multifaceted company, but it's involved in uh, delivery business, Pinduoduo in there. And then communication services is the second largest sector that would include mostly Tencent, which is a very wide moat company, according to Morningstar's research. And so one of the most dominant companies in China. What's interesting about the sector composition is that if you were to look back 10 years ago at the composition, you would see much more financials exposure and much more exposure to state-owned enterprises. And part of the narrative around China is that as the country has become more friendly towards capitalism, you've seen the rise of these entrepreneurial companies uh, and entrepreneur-led companies. And then the other thing you need to know with investing in China, as, as you mentioned, Phil, is that there's all sorts of acronyms that you have to deal with. So there's the onshore companies, onshore listed shares, and that can include H shares or A shares. Uh, eight shares are companies that are listed in Hong Kong. Eight shares are companies that are listed on mainland China. And if you were to look at the broad China ETFs today, you would say eight shares are only 10% or so of the index. And that's partially because of how the index providers construct those indexes. If you were to just go off of a market cap weighted, construction of an index, you would actually say that A shares, are, instead of being 10% of the index, it would actually be closer to 20%. And then, uh, so both H shares and ADRs, which is the new acronym that I'm going to introduce here, are technically foreign listed enterprises, which typically are using what you call a VIE structure. So the acronym list just keeps growing. But basically, because there are technically restrictions on raising foreign capital within certain sectors. A lot of companies have tried to get around that by creating a company, say, in the Cayman Islands, and then having their local company agree to certain contractual obligations, and then they list the Cayman Island company in the U.S. or in Hong Kong. So you're investing not exactly in the underlying company. You're investing in a company that has contractual obligations. And there's been a lot of... Uh, controversy around that policy. But those companies are actually a majority of the MSCI index for China. That's helpful, Nabil. And when we analyzed the Chinese opportunity, we focused on three broad categories of potential risks associated with the investment case. Uh, can you discuss those three types of risks and how it uh, impacted our investment thesis? Sure. So I would divide the risk categories into three broad buckets, the first of which would be what I would call Chinese regulatory driven. The second would be considered geopolitically driven, predominantly a function of relations and strains in the relations between the USA and China. And then the third would be what we would call existential risk or war on business. 
Um, I'll talk through the first and the third and Nabil will work through the second. So when we formulate the risks and we try to quantify the risks for any investment, what we try to do is we try to identify what we call contingent events. So we try to isolate specific potential outcomes that would be adverse to our investment. We would then assign a probability of that. We'd try to assess a fair value impact. So in other words, what would be the impact to either cash flows or cost of equity that would impair the potential investment. And then we assess a probability weighted fair value impact by multiplying the probability times the fair value impact. And so we went through this process for China in some reasonable detail. The first three contingent events that we discussed would be firstly the antitrust crackdown against big tech companies. What this would be would be where the government would, through regulation predominantly, seek to either break apart or limit the reach of the large tech companies within China. And we do assign a reasonably high probability to this contingent event. And based on the weighting of these companies that would be impacted in the index, we assess that it would be about a 4% fair value impact to the market. And on a probability weighted basis, this would be about a 2% impact. And similarly, we went through the math on what we call social equality. So this is where, by virtue of demographics, there are perceived and actual wealth inequity issues that are at the forefront, cost of living issues that are at the forefront, wage discrepancies, which are major concerns for the population. And these elements are items that the Communist Party is trying to address through also regulation. And we think that this is a fairly high probability that this will occur. And we think that the probability weighted fair impact is another 2%. The next area of potential regulatory reform would be data security. And we think that similar to their American counterparts, Chinese tech and communication services companies do use the information from their customers to, in many cases, provide better service, but also in potentially improve their revenues. And we think that the potential for reform with relation to the use of this information and the collection of this information could cause a fair value impact as well. And we think it's a relatively likely scenario that this happens. And we think that the fair value impact on a probability weighted basis is around 1%. So these are all reasonably high probability and on the basis of where the weights are in the index, a fairly moderate impact, but on a probability weighted basis, these are pretty high. Uh, I'll pass it on to Nabil to talk through the geopolitically driven potential outcomes. Thanks, Tyler. So when I was talking about the timeline of the regulatory crackdown, um, I didn't mention that there's also been this parallel track of a trade war between the United States and China that really started with Donald Trump, the President Trump. And there's been tariffs that have been imposed on both sides from you know the U.S. imposing tariffs on China and vice versa. And 
things have been escalating. And so in November 2020, President Trump actually signed an executive order that restricts U.S. investment in a set of Chinese companies that supposedly are involved with the Chinese military. Though if you look at the set of companies, some of them, for example, are energy companies and the the link between the, the Chinese military is pretty loose. So in assessing the risk, we had to say, well, there's some risk that there's an escalation or a decline in the relations between the U.S. and China, such that there could be more aggressive restrictions of ownership of Chinese stocks. And we think that's a relatively low probability event, but it could have a large impact on at least uh, U.S. owners of Chinese companies. Similar to that, we've seen increased concern from U.S. regulators. So the SEC is concerned about the lack of disclosures that Chinese companies listed in the U.S. are providing to U.S. investors. A lot of that relates to the VIE structure and the standards of auditing. So the head of the SEC has requested that offshore issuers, so those VIE entities, um, add disclosures in their SEC filings that detail the relationship between the China-based operating companies and the, say, Cayman Island-based VIE. So they want to see exactly, you know, how is the money flowing between those two entities. They want to know explicitly whether or not the operating company and the issuer have received permission from Chinese authorities to list on U.S. exchanges. So we've seen a few blowups, biggest of which would be Didi, where they listed on the U.S. exchange and then apparently didn't have explicit permission from Chinese regulators to do so. And then their app was pulled from most of the app stores in China and the company was restricted from adding new users. Um, That obviously is a major risk if you're going to be investing in that company, impacts their growth. Um, And then finally, there's this dispute around the accounting and the auditing where the U.S. Accounting Board wants to be able to inspect any issuer's work that their auditors reviewed when they audited the company. So that would mean a U.S. auditor reviews the work that a Chinese auditor used in auditing, say, Tencent. And so we think there's a risk that, and the Chinese government, I should add, has pushed back on that disclosure. So they don't want the U.S. auditors to be able to see that reviewed work. Um, They think that imposes uh, kind of data security issues on, uh, on these companies and on the Chinese government as well. And so because they haven't agreed to that, the U.S. is saying that they would delist some of these VIEs and ADRs from U.S. exchanges. So we'll see if there's going to be some sort of resolution there, but that's an event that could occur. And we think it has, a, I'd say, like a moderate probability of occurring and uh somewhat of a lesser fair value impact. And, but we'll see how that plays out and our views are kind of evolving there. Great, Nabil. And maybe just to summarize quickly the uh, geopolitically driven risks here, um, which one would be the one that has the biggest impact as far as probability and or fair value impact? So we think uh, the U.S. forcing a delisting of VIE equities is a much higher probability event with a relatively low fair value impact. And it's low because 
if you're a shareholder of Alibaba in their ADR, you could, in theory, instead of owning the ADR, own the Hong Kong listed share. So there might be some sort of a technical sell-off and some investors in the U.S. would be forced sellers, but in theory, the fair value impact isn't there, um, except for you know when you're a forced seller. And then the much lower probability event would be that the U.S. aggressively restricts ownership of Chinese stocks. Uh, we think that's very unlikely, but if it did occur, it would have a, a very large impact on the Chinese index or U.S. investors. Great. Thank you. And uh, Tyler, the, the third category was kind of the broader warm business category. Maybe you can comment on that um, specifically. Sure. Yes. There, there is a scenario that we've envisioned whereby not only would the U.S. government take a dim view and, and potentially act against companies that are operating with this VIE structure, but that we, in the scenario we're painting, would envision the Chinese government doing the same and declaring the VIE structure somehow illegal. Because many of the companies that are investable for people outside of China are in this VIE structure, that would have a pretty devastating fair value impact. But we also have concluded that the probability of this type of action would be very, very small. So we have included it in our thinking, but as far as the probability weighted fair value impact, it's not as significant as other areas. And so maybe to wrap it all up, when we consider all three of the potential risk buckets, we assign the probability, we assess the fair value impact, we then calculate the probability weighted fair value impact. We rank the Chinese market as fairly risky from that perspective. And so we're going into this investment potentially with eyes wide open. Great, Tyler. So we focused on risks here. Maybe we can shift to the potential opportunity here, the potential upside. And what do we look at there as we assess the potential attractiveness of the Chinese investment case? Well, I mentioned before that one of the hallmarks of what we do is, is valuation. And I would be remiss if I didn't point out that the valuation has, with the share price weakness of many of these companies, the aggregate valuation has improved both from an absolute perspective and also from a relative perspective. So things have become cheaper. But in addition to valuation, we also pay attention to things like growth and quality. And across the world, but particularly in the United States, we've seen a scarcity value being attached to companies that display quality, companies that display durable growth, and a lot of those companies are located within what we call big tech. So information technology, communication services, those areas. And the Chinese market has representation in those sectors as well. Several companies that have excellent growth characteristics are displaying significant quality elements as well as far as high return on invested capital, strong balance sheets, cash generation. And so we're viewing that from a qualitative and a quantitative perspective, this is a market that we're interested in at the right price. And so what seems to be working in our favor up until this point, of course, with all the risks that we mentioned up front, uh, would be that these are coming our way as far as price. 
And Tyler, just balancing those risks uh, against these potential rewards that you've discussed, where do we come out at the end of the day once we factor in both elements here? Well, I think that the way we're approaching this is that we're not going to jump in with both feet right away. So from putting it into portfolio language, we think about things with regard to portfolio construction as far as optimizing the size of this opportunity relative to other asset classes that we could potentially invest in. And so the way that we're approaching this is to, of course, we're aware that the predominant opportunity here has been within some of the technology slash consumer discretionary and communication services companies. And so we are approaching it with that degree of focus, but we're not placing all of our potential investments into a single stock. So we're diversifying the approach there and looking for a group of companies in which to invest. We think that timing-wise, it makes sense to scale in gradually because we don't know how the timing of the regulatory framework and actions and the risks potentially unfolding, how that timing will unfold. And so we think that it's wise and prudent to approach this from a gradual perspective. And then as far as sizing is concerned, we're certainly aware of where China sits in global investors framework as far as how comparable portfolios might be sized and what the index weighting in in the global index would be. And so we're cognizant of that. We're aware of that. And we're not going to get too far over our skis as far as having too significant a weighting in this particular market. And Nabil, as we compare the Chinese investment opportunities to other opportunities that we see across global markets, where does China fall on that spectrum? Yeah, so as Tyler alluded to, from a valuation perspective, we feel China is a high relative opportunity, but on an absolute basis, we're not that excited about it. So I would say it's kind of a, it's a building position. We're still much more overweight and say overall comfortable with our positions in Mexico, U.S. financials, the U.K. and and some of the European value stocks like uh, European financials all seem to offer better reward for risk that we're taking on. But as Tyler mentioned, as prices decline, we become more interested in the opportunity. And so we would build up our position from there. Great. Thank you, Nabil, and thank you, Tyler, for the insightful discussion today. And thanks for joining this episode of Simple But Not Easy. Keep an eye out for new episodes over the next couple of weeks. And in the meantime, you can check out mp.morningstar.com for more investment insights or learn more about Morningstar managed portfolios. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication. Such opinions are subject to change. No Morningstar entity, including Morningstar Investment Management and Morningstar Research Services, shall be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the content presented. Morningstar makes no representation as of the completeness or accuracy of the information presented. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.